0: Welcome to the Rural Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Larson. This week, we're with City of Jefferson, Iowa building official Nick Sorensen. Nick has played a key role in saving and restoring a number of historic buildings in Jefferson, and he's sharing the strategies that have worked to make these projects successful. This episode is jam packed full of information and resources. So if you have dreams of fixing up a historic building in your rural town, get ready to take some notes. Here we go with Nick Sorensen. All right. Well, we're here today with Nick Sorensen, building official at the city of Jefferson, Iowa. Nick, thanks for being on the podcast.
1: It is great to be here with you this morning via Zoom.
0: Right. Yes. Well, to start out by telling us a little bit about you. Is Jefferson your hometown?
1: Uh, Jefferson actually is not my hometown. I was actually born in a community of about 100 people called Hamlin, Iowa. It's right at the intersection of Highway 71 and 44. Uh, It's got Daryl's Place, which uh, I need to give a shout out to them. They've got Iowa's Best Tenderloin Award before, and I was within walking distance of that. But later in life, we moved to Xyra, which was just to the south of there. And that's where I was born and raised. Um, Grew up on a farm just two miles outside of Exira. Had to ride my single-speed bike into a baseball practice on gravel, uh, two miles one way. Graduated from there and actually uh, went to Leadville, Colorado and studied outdoor recreation. And uh, when I was out there, I was being drawn back home. So came back home and went to Iowa State for industrial technology and performing arts. And uh, the big school scene wasn't exactly for me. So I went to Des Moines Area Community College and studied criminal justice. And from there, I was hired by Xyra Police Department. And it didn't take too long to discover at 21 years old that you don't want to be a in your hometown when they can remember how ornery you were just three years earlier when you're in high school. (laughs) So I applied for Jefferson PD in 2003, and I've pretty much been here ever since. Um, And that's how I got to Jefferson.
0: Okay. Well, how has your job evolved over the years since you have gotten to Jefferson?
1: Well, it's been kind of an interesting ride. Um, when I was in high school, my uh, my father worked secondary roads for uh, Audubon County, but he was also a mason. So I was his tender whenever he had any masonry side jobs. And my grandfather had retired, and he was he was the type that there was no job too small, uh, and he hired on us grandkids to uh, help him out. So. If somebody needed a light bulb changed, we'd go and do that, or we would shingle a house. Um, but at that point in time, I didn't realize it, but I was starting to get a, uh, uh, an appreciation for older structures, not only downtown buildings, but, but homes. Um, so what that, that eventually uh, developed into is while I was a police officer, I worked 12 hour shifts and the most I worked were three days in a row and I had all this time on my hands. So started my own side construction business and uh, eventually worked my way up to sergeant and uh, between being sergeant and having the construction business, um, the position of building inspector opened up and it was like, you know what, let's uh, no nights, no weekends, no holidays. That sounds amazing. I can kind of combine the knowledge of reading code and uh, uh, my construction background and maybe have a normal-ish job. So I applied for that, and uh, this June, I will have been doing that for five years for the city of Jefferson.
0: Okay, awesome. So when you first came to Jefferson, what was the town like? Was their business booming? Was there a lot of dilapidated buildings? What was the landscape?
1: When I first came in 2003, uh, Jefferson, if if there were dilapidated properties, um, which there were, but I was in law enforcement. It wasn't those things I was paying special attention to. Um, it, it was a little bit different in the fact that we had quite a few eating establishments. Um, and, you know, the square, we have a downtown square, four-sided square. And you'd see kids cruising the loop, um, and eventually, over the years, you didn't see that many people uh, cruising the loop anymore. Uh, You didn't see the, heck, at one point in time, we had four bars on our square, and then all of a sudden, we were down to one. So that nighttime activity had cut down. A lot of your downtown retail had kind of, what you had seen in 03 and you didn't really appreciate, had had gone to the wayside. And uh, then that's when you really started noticing if a building was dilapidated and there was second story um, apartments, those were where law enforcement wise, we were getting called to quite frequently. Uh, the rent structures were lower because the property wasn't being maintained. Um, so it, over the years it has evolved and, and proud to say we're, we're turning the page back to it, to getting it where it needs to be.
0: Yeah, definitely. You obviously saw a lot of opportunity here. Was this originally part of your job with the city to kind of get these buildings and restore them? Or how has that evolved for you too?
1: So initially, uh, as far as my current position goes, building official, it really started out that um, they mainly did building inspections and nuisance abatement. Uh, junk in your yard, uh, make sure you mow your yard, things of that nature. And uh, there's a international property maintenance code that we operate under. Um, that we decided, hey, let's kind of work with this to try and work on these downtown buildings and get the property owners to fix them up. And Initially, it was just people saying, you know, somebody should do something about that building downtown. Somebody should do something about that. And it was even council members, and we were saying, it and it's, well, why don't we do something about it then? Um, if, if, if anything, we needed to be the ones to, uh, to step forward and, and assume this risk. And so when I had started, the city had already um, acquired one dilapidated property. And it was gifted to the city along with five thousand dollars. And what I'll tell the listeners if anybody gifts you a building along with five thousand dollars, you ask for fifty or a hundred (laughs) thousand dollars. Because if it's in that kind of shape, it's going to take some work. But uh, so it, it just kind of evolved that we realized with your downtown being your living room, so to speak, of, of this is how you show outside people what you think of your community. Um, that first impression outside of your entrances into the city is going to be that living room, that downtown, and how inviting that is. And at the time, ours wasn't all that inviting. We had quite a bit of dilapidation. So I got tasked with, uh, hey, try try and do something
0: about it. Yeah. So where did you start?
1: Um, so it, it was really kind of a, a unique situation. There was a, a, a couple that was originally from Jefferson. They both had graduated from here and they they had moved away. And they, later in life, they wanted to be closer to their, their families who were still here in Jefferson. And they had a successful business out of state. And they wanted to come back, and they they had um, some ties to uh, this downtown building that was one of the dilapidated ones. Uh, in fact, it had mold four feet tall up on the walls. The roof was just pouring water on the inside. It was it was in very very bad shape, and they wanted to relocate that business here but in the condition of the building, it was going to be more expensive to fix it up than what a bank would loan because it wouldn't appraise out. And, uh, you know, in speaking with these individuals, the city assumed part of that responsibility to be a partner with them to try and fix this property up. And uh, that's, that's how we kind of, hey, there's, there's kind of a little bit of secret recipe here that if you get that public-private partnership and we had a have a wonderful main street um organization with volunteers and it gives great access to resources that normally rural-wise we really wouldn't whether that's design assistance or just you know professional individuals that know about these buildings because to be perfectly honest what do I know about uh 120 year old downtown building being a cop for 13 years. You know, uh, they, they helped us out tremendously. And through a grant through Iowa Economic Development Authority, uh, the city using tax increment financing and that, uh, that couple that wanted that building, we were able to save one from falling in on itself. And now it's got second story apartment that they live in and they operate the business down below and it's very successful.
0: So did that just kind of start a domino effect?
1: (laughs) It, it did, it did. It was what we realized was when we got into that is the reason people don't do anything with these buildings is because when you go to a bank to get a loan, they're only going to loan you what it's gonna appraise out at, and you're gonna be expected to have 20% of that. And if it's gonna take 400,000 on a building, it's gonna appraise out at 170. After you're done, the bank's not gonna loan it. The equity is not there. Uh, Unless you're flush with cash and that building's extremely important to you, that project just really is not gonna happen. So what we did was we we looked at the ones that were in the worst case scenario. Um the ones that were just going to take an extreme amount of of risk and money to get it to the point where it's a desirable property for a business and we started tackling those.
0: So you've been able to buy some of these buildings for $100 or even less than that, right? Tell us more about that.
1: Well, so yeah, uh right right now, um I think the most we spent for a building was sixty six hundred dollars. And again, the least we've spent was they gave us five thousand dollars and the property. Yeah. Um one property we bought for a hundred dollars, another property was for fifty dollars, and another property was gifted to us. Well, part of that is that property maintenance code. Um is saying, hey, by our ordinances, your property is violating those laws that we have here in Jefferson. And a lot of times it's, it's not even the current owner's fault. Um, these buildings have been neglected for the last 50, 60, 70 years. And it's changed ownership so many times that when they buy it, they may have the best intentions in the world, but they don't realize the, the amount of expense and the amount of liability that they just assumed. Um, so the buildings get to the point where they can't even sell them. And that's where you just kind of explain, hey, yes, you're in violation of these laws, but um, if you gift it to a nonprofit or you know, sell it for $100 or $50, you know that's tax deductible for you, um, whether it's a capital loss, or whether it's donating to a nonprofit. Either way, the city is going to see to it that this property doesn't fall in on itself. Um, you don't wanna go into it threateningly, but you just need to explain the importance of those properties in saving. them, um, And that's that's kind of how we've managed to be able to get them affordably is explaining, hey, the expense is going to be this. Banks will loan this. You're going to sit on this property and the city's going to wind up fixing it and potentially leaning it. Let's work together.
0: So you do try to work with the current owners whenever you can.
1: That would absolutely be our preference. Um, our preference would be the city does not have to acquire them. We, we do not want to be a real estate uh, developing company. We'd love to be a partner to help those properties. Um, but that, that's, that's all we can do on that.
0: What do you think the key ingredients are to making these restorations work?
1: It's definitely the public private partnerships, um, whether it's through your volunteer groups or financial assistance. Um, you know, they're, they're, you kind of got to have your team. together. Uh, We didn't have a team put together, and we kind of learned that along the way. But uh, for that end result to be what you want, it's definitely public-private partnership. Um, As many grant funds as you can get, but that's not always going to be there. So it's understanding navigating tax credits, whether historical, um, even with workforce housing tax credits here in Iowa that can be used for the second story living. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's, it's definitely team effort, but when I say team, it, to break it down to its, um, broad, it's public private partnership.
0: Give us an overview of some of the buildings and restorations that you've gotten to be a part of. Cause I feel like you've done a lot of different things that might be of interest to people.
1: Right. So it, it's, it's very, Every single building that we've worked on has thrown its own challenge at us. Um, Anywhere from we did a community development block grant where 13 buildings uh, got fresh new facades and you're working through those and you think you know what's going on and then all of a sudden you have to tear the entire front of the building off and rebuild it unexpectedly. Um, but as far as the city's concerned, you know, a lot of them, we, what I've discovered is, and many people will tell you this is it starts with tuck pointing and the roof. If it doesn't have good tuck pointing and if it doesn't have a good roof, um, those are major expenditures that are going to turn into big problems on down the line. Um, That first project that I was speaking about with the individuals that uh, had the business and wanted to relocate, that that was a wonderful project where we we got to partner up. Um, There's other projects where it's just us right now getting it to what's considered a white box shell. Making sure the outside structure, you have storefront glass, new storefront glass assemblies, entries. tight facade with brand new roof so that nobody has to worry about those big expenditure items and then they can just come in and we don't have walls put up, we don't have you know plumbing exactly where a bathroom might go. they can come in and make it theirs. And that helps us more so on our business recruitment side of things. But we've tackled ones with bad roofs. We've tackled ones that had unfortunately experienced substantial fire damage. That in some communities you might just bulldoze. Um, Thankfully, our fire department was uh, very good at extinguishing it to the point where we could salvage the building. And it was a three bay building that was one business that now we pull that facade off, and there's three individualized. Um, buildings there that could be three different businesses or it could be one business it, it just helps you diversify that um, we had one that uh, the, the parapet was leaning so bad I was concerned that we contacted a friend of mine who's got a boom truck and I got on the roof just to try and pull the parapet over so it wouldn't fall out into the street and it wouldn't budge and two weeks later it was laying on the roof so then, all of a sudden, now you're you're contacting insurance companies and, and things like that. So maybe I shouldn't have yanked so hard, but at least it fell on the roof and not out into the street. <laughs> um, but yeah, you learn you learn with each different one, and not one is going to be the same. We have one right now, our most recent acquisition, had a wonderful business in the on the first floor that was a tea garden that tour buses would come in. And they would go and they would have lunch there and they'd come and hit our other shops. And uh, it was owned by somebody other than the tenant on the first floor. The second floor, they left the water on but shut the heat off because it was vacant and it dumped 40,000 gallons of water from the second story all the way through the first floor. Displaced that business. Um, So now we have to deal with something that's a water damage situation. That we didn't realize it when we acquired it, but the roof structure we knew had been replaced back in 2009, but it was engineered wrong. And now we have to replace not only the interior of a building, but we have to replace trusses and everything on the roof. So it's, uh, it's not for the faint of heart, but it can be done. Um, we're living proof of that. But just understand you're going to do one building. And the next one's going to be completely different, even though you think it's going to be just like the last one.
0: Yeah. Well, and there's something great going on with that tea garden, right? Where you have some different people contributing into that.
1: Right. So what's, what's great about, you know, with the city stepping in and, you know, I make mention, we we don't want to have to do that, but we realize our need to do that. But what has happened from this is just organically um, a group of women that know the importance of uh, this tea garden business to our downtown and how vital it is. I think there are up to 47 women are putting $5,000 into creating an LLC that once the city, once we get the roof put on it, they're going to assume the property and continue the build out to get this tea garden business back into it. Another end game, much like that first one we had with the business that was from out of state, they are gonna be the developers on this instead of the city being the developer on this. And hopefully that inspires more groups to wanna do that with one of the other city buildings that we're trying to get ready for businesses.
0: I love that. What has been your biggest success story? It,
1: it, it's hard to narrow that down, especially after speaking about this group of 44 women just wanting to come in and take charge of this. I absolutely love it. Um, but that that first initial project where we worked um, hand in hand with the owners, it's, it's a business called Sensibly Chic. And everybody check it out. Wonderful Facebook page uh, that, you know, both of their families on both sides and the husband and wife had owned the building at one point, wow. her grandfather built the building. It was a, a pool hall and that's how important this building was to them. And they really wanted to save it, but we were able to use 150,000 from the city we were to use our able to use our council of governments for a low interest business loan, one of our local banks as well for a low interest business loan, a challenge grant from Iowa Economic Development Authority for seventy five thousand to get a project built out hand in hand with private ownership at that point to save a building from dilapidation and set the stage for us for all the others that we were about to tackle that we didn't know we were going to be tackling. Uh, We received a Preservation Iowa Award for it. It was not a tax credit project. There was nothing that we ran um, through State Historic Preservation Office. But what we did in the design is we took those standards and applied them to our build out and we still were recognized for it. Um, we, this property at one point before the city acquired it had a basement wall collapse and the private ownership had saved it but left all the debris in the basement. And how do you get all of that debris out of that basement? while well, it's five gallon bucket at a time. For high school students, we, we formed an a, basically an assembly line of past the five-gallon bucket of sand to one another all the way out of this building. Um, in fact, the kids don't like it when I call for help because they were pretty sore after this day. They moved 26 ton in two hours, 26 ton of sand, five-gallon bucket at a time. And they still talk about it to this day about how that was terrible, but we did that. And it's and I don't think they want me to call again, but they do
0: like to brag about it. yeah, they're proud. <laughs> yes,
1: they are so i i'm very I'm very proud of that project. Um, very proud of the ownership and and how they stuck with it and how they're sticking with it now with the times we're having. Um, but again, it just set the stage for us to continue that success on in our downtown area, yeah.
0: You and some of your friends, Chris Deal, Jamie Dobbindyke, plus others have played a major part in both casting vision for the town of Jefferson and seizing the opportunity that you see here. And you all have your own roles that you play. Talk about those different roles and how you work together. Because it, it, it's really amazing as an outsider to see the results of what you guys have accomplished.
1: Well, in, you know, I, yeah, Jamie and Chris, um, we didn't know it, but three years ago, we were about to become really good friends. Um, we had no idea that this was about to happen, but, uh, in all actuality, it's, uh, the, the network's way larger than just us three. Um, we honestly, we, the three of us, uh, we have very small cogs in, in in this, but, uh, You know, with with Jamie um, being a part of, you know, Jefferson Telecom and Jefferson Telecom, having that vision to have fiber in this community, um, redundant fiber at that, that's unheard of in a community of our size. And in, in where we're heading as a society, you know, high speed internet's like water. High-speed internet's like gas and electricity. It's that next, it's that next essential utility that you need to have to survive, and that just gives the city of Jefferson a leg up on other rural communities when it comes to that. But Jamie also has magnificent leadership abilities. Um, he knows how to fan the flame behind somebody when they have this idea and and to encourage them to go about it he's our the president of our main street um organization and he knows how to say to those volunteers just turn them loose you know they always say it's hurting cats jamie's very good about putting the cat food out there that's how you heard the cats put the cat food out there but jamie's wonderful at that but He's got that hometown knowledge because he grew up here and and people trust his opinion. Um, With Chris, his network is huge. I mean, uh, for us to have access to number one, Chris graduating from here, Chris having such local ties, but having the larger ties on even a nationwide scale um, and bringing those back to Jefferson are just absolutely invaluable. But he also understands these old buildings as well because he's worked with them in his on the engineering side of his profession and he has those contacts to say hey nick you need to talk to these people um but uh not only that he he i don't know if he chews on coffee beans throughout the day because i'll get emails from him at one o'clock in the morning or three o'clock in the morning, and then all of a sudden at six o'clock in the morning I'm getting another one I don't know how he juggles as much as he does uh, the man's amazing, and we're extremely fortunate to have him here um, and then but realistically my role um, you know you, you pose that question it's difficult to say I don't know if I'm a cheerleader of Jefferson you know i I'm, I'm a, a, it, it's just it's more working with our our government and, and explaining to our council and our mayor of, of here's how we can do this while working with these people and ge- connecting those public-private partnerships. And to uh, one person I think we need to really acknowledge here is Peg Rainey, who's our Main Street Director, who is without her, none of this happens. Without Chris Deal, none of this happens. Without redundant fiber, none of this happens I'm I, I think I'm replaceable so but I- anyway uh, what that created was this amazing amazing forge project um, I, I'm sure you just you've had Chris on here before but you know with this forge project that's 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 going to be community changing that's going to be nationwide changing um, and we're trying to set that stage as well as possible so that other communities like us can be successful.
0: Yeah. So, give us just kind of the overview of the Forge. If people haven't heard Chris's podcast before, and you can hear more about that on his podcast too. But give people an overview of that and an update on on what's going on with that.
1: the The Forge project is. It started out with uh, Chris Deal working with Link Kroger. Um, with Pillar Technology in downtown Des Moines. Chris had, had worked uh, the engineering on that project and Link Kroger had this idea of let's, let's start do even smaller and Pillar Technology, they do software coding. Um, let's try even smaller, where should we go? And Chris had made that connection and said, well, why not Jefferson and brought him here? And it just so happened when Chris brought him here, we had our team assembled to to give a warm welcome to Link Kroger with Peg Rainey, with Jamie Dovendek, with myself. And we were in the middle of this facade program of fixing up 13 facades in our downtown. The city was actively working on three downtown dilapidated properties. And he could see, you know, we weren't just going to vanish into existence. And then he hears, you know, redundant fiber. Okay, you have my interest. And but you need a community college. Well, we had a failed attempt at uh, at two school bonds and a third attempt when we decided to include an attached career academy and the county got involved with some tax increment financing and our local grow green gaming corporation, the the charitable a uh, branch of uh, Wild Rose Casino got money involved as well to help the project. We passed a bond for a lot more than we were initially. And when it has that career academy that can have software coding. Um, so then we had lined up a developer for the building. That's what we needed next. Well, what that turned into is, is uh, East State Street Properties LLC, which is a fancy name for Chris Deal. Chris Deal decided to be the developer on the project. Um, And then Chris and I, we worked out how we could uh, do some city finance to help with it. We applied for a Catalyst Grant through Iowa Economic Development Authority. Um, and, And it was a historic tax credit project, which we had only had one in Jefferson until that. And so it was a learning process for all of us. And then now, all of a sudden, we have a downtown building that had an assessed value of maybe $40,000, went through a $1.8 million build-out that's going to house anywhere from 30 to 40 employees and software coding, uh, making anywhere 65000 85000 a year. And so the update on that is the build-out is done. Um, it's a magnificent facility right now. We have students going through, uh, the, the curriculum for the software coding, um, that hopefully within the next year, they'll be in the forge and actively working our career academy isn't built yet. That's due to be finished next year, along with our new high school. So it's, it's very exciting and we can't wait to see those students inside that building.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I love it. It's creating opportunity and just doing something new that I think can translate beyond just the technology world. I think a lot of different industries can look at that model and learn from it. So, it's really really a cool project.
1: Absolutely. Thank you. We're we're pretty proud of it here.
0: Yes. What advice would you have for people wanting to restore historic buildings in their towns? I mean, you've obviously learned a lot so what would you share
1: with them and so you're saying learn from my mistakes and that, <laughs> that's the way they should absolutely <laughs> um you know i i made mention of this this team you know this team concept um you know for all the marvel fans out there it's it's kind of like avengers assemble we we've got a project let's get that let's get that team together and that team um it can be vast at times and it can be small at times, um, but you need to figure out what your team is as far as those that go in and get things done. And you need those on the private side and the public side. So whatever council members, mayor, uh, board of supervisors to get on that team to, to uh, talk about that, that public side of funding sources. Um, you definitely want your local economic development group on your side as well, because there's another financing or potential grant opportunity to help your projects out. You realistically should have architect, engineer, and attorney on your side as well, because at the end of this, that you know you want the projects to be good quality and safe, and that's where your architect and engineer come into play. And then the attorney on the backside, you're going to turn that prof- or that property over to somebody eventually. And to be able to have the right economic development agreement, to be able to turn a property over that you have far more invested than what they're purchasing it for to have forgivable loans and things of that nature. But uh, just maybe the biggest piece of advice I would say is have at least 25 to 30% contingency built in because there's all kinds of unknowns that you're going to find out uh, once you start tearing
0: into these. Yeah. Any resources out there that have helped you, whether it be you know, grants or just um, websites to help you understand codes or things like that?
1: Right. So, you know, I, I rely heavily, as I mentioned, on Main Street, Iowa. Um, they're an invaluable resource, and we get that because we are a Main Street community. Um, however, they're also a part of Iowa Economic Development Authority. So if you're not a Main Street community uh, in Iowa, you can always call them. Uh, I can't speak for other states on that, but the, for Iowa, we have the uh, Department of Natural Resources, and they have a program that helps you with asbestos abatement. They also have a dilapidated building program that helps uh, landfill diversion so you do recycling practices with the materials you're working with and there's quite a bit of funding there. Um, Work with the National Trust for Historic Preservation. Um, That's where you're going to be going for your uh, national and state tax credits. Your historic tax credits really help these cash flow Workforce housing, if you have that second story living capability, you really need to be to engaging that space if it's not engaged already, because that's what makes that building cash flow. It's not always necessarily the rental on the first floor. It's that second story. You get the second story finished out. Now you have bodies that are walking downstairs to maybe utilize that business or the other businesses around the square and going right back upstairs. Um, It definitely makes the buildings more feasible. Um, And and with that, what I recommend is, you know, just expand your network to outside of your norm. Explore all possibilities. Um, You know, you're a great resource when it comes to this. This is expanding that network, you know. People can contact us um, for ideas as well.
0: Well, what do you love most about Jefferson and what excites you most about the future here?
1: Well, right now, I, what I really love the most is they let me play with old buildings. That's you know, <laughs> part of my job. That, that's kind of unheard of where they're like, hey, you know, go figure out this old building and it's stressful at times. But no, what I love more, most about Jefferson is our volunteer group. I mean, the selflessness. You don't, you don't worry about the eyes You worry about the we's. How are we going to get there? Um, And I can't stress enough, this is a we. There's no one individual that's more important than the other. This is definitely all hands on deck and let's pull together in the same direction. What was the second part of the question?
0: What excites you most about the future here?
1: Um, Honestly, rural. Uh, The fact that as far as a community goes, we have everything you need. Um, And I think that's absolutely something uh, we don't tout enough. Um, In today's technology world, you, you can live here and you can work in, whether it's Japan or Denmark or wherever, you can live here and work there just by remoting in. Um, everything you need, your essentials are here. And we're within 45 minutes of the metro area. And so maybe you do that on the weekend. But if, if, you're, if you're tired of hustle and bustle, this is definitely the place to be. But what, I'm, what excites me most about the future is just hopefully with this Forge project, we're going to see we're not losing our talent. We're not exporting our talent out of state. We're not exporting our talent out of Jefferson. We want to encourage them to explore the world, but they can always come home. And there's a good job for you here. And now we got you back.
0: Yes, definitely. And I think we also want to say these buildings that you've been working on, they're not all taken. So there's opportunity for people looking for a place to bring a business in a rural community, Um, Jefferson right now.
1: Absolutely, entrepreneurship. Jefferson was founded on entrepreneurship. We have so many businesses in this community that started out on our square and now are large manufacturing out on the outskirts. Um, Entrepreneur spirit uh, right now is gonna be difficult to uh to really feel with with the effects of COVID, but that that eventually is gonna be done. And we're gonna be here and we're gonna be ready and we're gonna say, hey, you know, if if we have a marketplace gap here, um, via our ESRI data or anything like that, or, you know, you have a unique idea that we wanna be a part of, we wanna be a part of it. Let's let's figure out a way to make it work.
0: Yeah. Well,
1: what's next for you? Uh, next for me, well, it's, it's finding the businesses for those buildings. You know, our downtown is kind of an organism, so everybody survives off of one another. Even if they might be a directly competing business, they all work well together. They, they understand the importance of one another. Um, so with these empty buildings, what businesses are going to complement those? You know, how do we find that next tea garden that they come and they eat and then, with the tour bus, and then they go and they shop around at all of our other shops, you know is it a yoga studio? I don't know is is it a health food store? I don't know, so that's that's our next step. Let's figure out, let's analyze this data, and then how do we recruit that? How do we go out and reach out and how where are they at you know? Figuring that—that's—that's that's the next big thing that we would we want to figure out. And I have a sneaking suspicion that uh, with this this uh, forge project, we won't have to search too hard.
0: Yeah, I think that's true too. <laughs> well, how can we follow along with you and everything going on in Jefferson?
1: Um, so the city has a Facebook page under just City of Jefferson, Iowa. Uh, Jefferson Matters Main Street has Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, but another one is the Lincoln Corridor. Uh, you might know a little bit about that.
0: Yeah, I might. <laughs> but,
1: but that's an excellent one um, to just just kind of plug into and, and see what's going on here.
0: And for those of you wondering, just real quick, the Lincoln Corridor is a project that both Nick and I got to work on with a group of people. But we basically created a metro area, but it's all rural. Jefferson is kind of the center hub, and everything within a 45-minute radius of Jefferson is included in this area. But we're presenting it as if it were a metro area.
1: Right. It's a, it's a good marketing piece for, say, Silicon Valley of saying we have access to 45,000 employees, and that gets interest. Um, if we were to say just Jefferson at forty-two hundred people, that doesn't get interest. And with that forty-five thousand, that's within forty minutes of the driving radius of Jefferson. So it's it's a little bit different spin on on what they perceive maybe in West Coast or heavily populated areas of willing to drive distance there and what how that relates to rural.
0: Yeah. And when we did the data, I mean, this area that we're looking at, there are less than 25 stoplights, six hospitals. The nearest college is within a 20-minute drive. There's mm-hmm. a ton of recreational opportunities and activities. They can be part of lots of arts and entertainment. And so it's really everything that people are looking for. But that quality of life aspect is a huge sell. So, Absolutely. Yep
1: but we have our city uh, webpage, www.cityofjeffersoniowa.org. But honestly, Jefferson Matters Facebook page is so good at keeping up on tabs for all of us that that's going to be the easiest way to to stay involved, stay in touch, see what we're doing. if anybody wants to reach out, you just go to that city webpage and we will, we will work with you. Um, this isn't something that we have going on down here we want to be selfish about. We want to share this. We want other rural communities to be successful.
0: Yeah, I love it. I think you guys do a great job of that. And I'm definitely excited about what's ahead for Jefferson too. So I'm excited for people to go check it out come on down when, when you can. Right. (laughs) And everything's open.
1: (laughs) Come on down virtually right now. So you have an idea and then come down once we can.
0: Yes, for sure. Well, Nick, thank you for being on the podcast. This has been great information. I really appreciate it.
1: I greatly appreciate the opportunity.
0: Well, I love hearing Nick break down these projects and how they have come together, and I hope that it has sparked some ideas for what might be possible in your small town. Nick mentioned so many great resources, and we've got all of those linked in the show notes. Plus, we've got some great before and after pictures that you'll want to check out on the blog. I know so many of you are trying to pivot in the online space because of Corona, and several of you have asked about joining our Cultivate coaching group for small business owners and small town leaders. So it's back open through this week. This group is a great resource as you navigate the changes we're all facing, and our weekly discussions are focused on getting you through these challenging times, and we want you there. Come join us at ruralrevival.co slash cultivate. Huge thanks to Nick for being on the podcast, and thanks to you for tuning in and staying with us as we record these podcasts remotely during quarantine. We look forward to being back out on the road soon, but until then, stay healthy and safe and have a great day, everybody.